Hello again, everybody. I'm your host, Felipe, and you're listening to the Total Basis Podcast. And with me is always Austin Spiro. Austin, how are you doing this evening? All right. Um, you know, nice to get get back on here. We're going to talk some Hall of Fame today. Uh, threw my back out, so that's fun. Um, but other than that, doing all right. How'd you do that? I have no idea. I'll be very honest with you. I was at work, and all of a sudden, my back was like, okay, we're done for today. So. Oh man, I think that's the stunt school, man. It's the stunt. It, it it may be the stunts. I did a lot of stuff. For those of you that don't know, I'm in the process of uh, maybe having a side career as a stunt man, and um, yeah, it. I did a lot of stunts, and today, I guess my back was just like, yeah, we're done. So. Oh boy, that's gonna derail your career before it even starts. So don't quit know, your day right? job just quite yet. Oh. <laughs> Also with me is a, a relatively new person. I know he's appeared on, with Austin before on the Express show, but it is Kevin Miller. Kevin, how you doing? I'm doing all right, man. I'm glad to be here and looking forward to talking some Hall of Fame tonight. Now, uh, everybody knows who Austin should be at this point. He has a Baseball Life admin. That's where we're recording live this episode. Of, uh, like Austin mentioned, we will be talking about the Hall of Fame. But Kevin Miller, uh, where where would people recognize you from? Have you written before? Have you done other podcasts before? What's your backstory here? And- uh, my backstory in terms of where people might have seen me, I guess, would just be uh, the guy who makes annoying po- uh, polls in baseball life. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I'm the guy who, who uh, especially, uh, especially if I don't have anything going on, is probably putting a, a poll or two out there. Um, sometimes they get a lot of traffic. Sometimes they don't. But uh, if, you, if you see a poll out there, there's a decent chance it's me. If you see a poll out there, you might be in Chicago. <laughs> a little bit of ethnic joke right there for everybody. But let's get going. <laughs> we have a lot to cover tonight. So thank you guys for joining us uh, this evening. And thank you, Austin and Kevin, for accommodating me uh, to get this episode. It's one of my favorite episodes and one of my favorite uh, things to discuss. It is the Hall of Fame. This is a, Consider this a part one. Uh, part two will be probably done sometime in January uh, when the baseball writers ballot uh, uh, gets closer to be announced. But this one, the contemporary baseball era, uh, putting players uh, from 1980 to the present on the ballot, eight players were mentioned. We're going to go through them one by one tonight. And uh, this used to be known as the Veterans Committee, right? And they changed the way they did that. And now it, it's based on era. So uh, Austin, if you remember, we did this last year, I believe with Dan, uh, where we talked about like, oh, it was two eras. There was the golden era of baseball and then the, uh, turn of the century era or Negro league or something like that. But it was very, um, ancient (laughs) by uh, relatively speaking. Uh, so we're going to be talking about more modern, uh, players, players who just recently retired, who are still fresh in our memories. And we begin by talking with Don Mattingly. Um, and if, you, if those who are watching on YouTube or live, this is a spreadsheet that I compiled uh, from Fangraphs. This is the 2023 Hall of Fame talk for the contemporary baseball era position players from 1975 to 2010. The minimum was uh, 6,500 plate appearances. So we can fit in uh, Albert Bell onto the list. Uh, as you can see, some of the stati- statistics that I uh, utilize for this spreadsheet are color coordinated. So anything that's red is really good. And then um, yellow is mid level or average. 
uh, and then anything that's blue uh, is just awful. So, you know, if you think about the color spectrum, Roy G. Bib from Roy to, sorry, from red to blue, that's how you should picture it. So anything that's closer to red is is, is good, above average, and anything that's closer to blue is poor, um, uh, below average, so to speak. So some, as you guys will see, I mean, we got some famous guys here, Tim Salmon, Juan Gonzalez, uh, Kirk Gibson, uh, that's a playoff hero right there. Chili Davis, uh, uh, I used to, I, I got his baseball card uh, back in 1989. I don't know what I did with it. Harold Baines, who we talked about uh, before we started recording. Uh, Harold Baines, probably one of the lowest. Uh, and by the way, it is sorted by Fangraphs' definition of wins above replacement. So there's Harold Baines at number, uh, ranked number 104th. And then we get to Don Mattingly, who's highlighted in that uh, sea green, I guess, color there uh, at number 92. As you can see, uh, 2,100 hits. Uh, did not get a lot of home runs, even though he was a first baseman. Not a lot of stolen bases. But his bread and butter comes with a high batting average of 307, which, as you guys can see, has a little bit of an orange hue. Some respectable uh, slugging and ops numbers. As we move to the right, the decent WOVA, decent WRC+. Plus. And then there it is in a very murky blue. Wins above replacement at 40.7 win. Uh, let's start with Austin. Austin, do you think that should be good enough to get Don Mattingly into the Hall of Fame? As popular as Don Mattingly is, in especially in Yankee fandom and you know across across baseball, I mean, you got Donnie Baseball. You know that everybody said everybody knows who Donnie Baseball is, but I don't think he had a good enough career to become a Hall of Famer. I think he's a Hall of Very Good but I don't think he's a hall of famer by any means. Um, the war is too low and some of the other statistics that he had is, are, are too low. Um, especially for first base, when you're looking at first base, I mean, we're, we're doing it and we did the, uh, we're, we're just finishing up the greatest of all time series and first base is stacked. It's stacked with a lot of legends. And there are a lot of people in that, in that <laughs> position who knew how to hit the baseball and, while Don Mattingly was a very, I'm not going to say very prolific, but he was a, he was a good hitter. He wasn't a legendary or a great hitter in my opinion. So I, I did not choose Don Mattingly for the hall of fame. And uh, yeah, very popular, very well liked, obviously managed to baseball teams after he retired the Dodgers and the Marlins. Uh, Kevin, you got any other fun facts about Don Mattingly that we should know about? Yeah, Austin mentioned his nickname, right? Donnie Baseball. People have been calling him that for, I guess, almost 40 years now. Yeah. And apparently, I learned this recently, apparently the, the name came uh, from somebody talking behind his back. <laughs> uh, Kirby Puckett, who um, we all know, the Baseball Hall of Famer, uh, passed away, gosh, probably 15 years ago now. Yeah. But Kirby Puckett played, uh, some of his career overlapped with Don Mattingly's career. And Kirby Puckett was referring to Don Mattingly as Donnie Baseball when he would talk about Don Mattingly to other people. And Mattingly heard about it and was trying to track down Kirby to ask him, like, where this name come from? What do you, why are you calling me that? And he just smiled at him in that big Kirby Puckett smile and said, well, am I wrong? <laughs> and the name just kind of stuck. I wonder, I always, uh, when I was a kid, I always confused it. I always wondered if, uh, where did Donnie baseball end and where did Mr. Baseball begin or, or, uh, if it was inspired by Don Mattingly as Tom Selleck 
kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of looks like Don Manningly if I if you try hard enough. Uh, so I wonder if the if mustache. It, yeah, yeah, right. The mustache. So mm-hmm. I, I always, I often wonder if Mr. Baseball was indeed inspired by Donnie Baseball. But uh, did you do any research on that, there, Kevin? Uh, I did not. I did not uh, jump over into the the pop culture realm there. But that, <laughs> that's that's a good thought, though. Especially you know the dark brown mustache. You know, Mattingly had that for a while. I think you know could be. Yeah. Uh, so Mr. Baseball, nineteen ninety two, American Fit. Wow, ninety two. Wow. Uh, no, I'm not gonna get any um, quick quick advice as uh advisory if, if this was uh yeah if this was uh done uh because of don donnie baseball but uh kevin one last question so you would also not vote for don manningly and uh keep this in mind folks uh the real electors get zero to three uh people to name so you can go as low as zero players to vote for and as many as three is he one of your three there kevin He's not, um, you know, Austin referred to him as being hall of very good. Uh, and I agree with that. You know, I've even, I've even heard someone say he's the president of the hall of very good. <laughs> you know, he, he's one of those guys, not only is he, you know, I don't know, a top 150, 200 baseball player ever, mm-hmm. but he was also outrageously popular for arguably um, the most popular franchise in major league baseball, even though most of his career, they were actually pretty bad. Um, he was very popular. Um, he was the first baseman who was a good fielder and that was kind of a, a commodity at the time. People liked that. So he's very popular, but I just, I can't call him a hall of famer. All right. Well, and I guess Don Mattingly strikes out, but we'll see if any of our other people uh, selected him and uh, we'll reveal those picks in just a bit, but not too far up the ladder on this list. After Don Mattingly, there's Paul New and there's Albert Bell. Look at that. Albert Bell ranked number 90th. How many players were ranked here? 120. So out of 120 players, Albert Bell shows up. He's on the ballot. Uh, big hulking slugger that he was. Uh, big menace to society that he also was there. <laughs> Just uh, not very likable as a human being. I know that he was also uh, got caught up in some cork bat issues and trying to run over trick-or-treaters as well. But as you can see, the guy did produce the 381 home runs might not seem like a lot, but it is in that orange hue. So it is a, a slightly, if not a wholly above average, whatever that means. 12, uh, 1,239 RBI. So, I mean, he was a run producer, right? Uh, there's the big slugging percentage, even during the steroids era. That's pretty damn high. I mean, if you talk, think about all the big time sluggers during this, in the nineties and early two thousands. And uh, Albert Bell is right there in terms of slugging percentage and ops. Uh, there's the Woba at 396. WRC plus at 139, which is respectable, but again, uh, falls short, not enough games played, uh, and only accumulated a 41 war, uh, in his, uh, playing days. Uh, we'll start with Kevin, Kevin, any thoughts on Albert Bell? Albert Bell is a very interesting case because if you look at peaks only, he has one of the best offensive peaks ever. Um, I know we're not going to get too much into, um, into every single statistic right now. But, uh, you know, Albert Bell is the only player in Major League history to have a seven-year peak with averaging 42 home runs, 42 doubles, and 125 RBI. He's the only guy ever. That's never happened. You know, if you take out the doubles, you only add Babe Ruth, A-Rod, um, Sammy Sosa, and Jimmy Fox. Like, mm. that, that didn't 
that doesn't happen. That that peak was incredible. But you mentioned it: short career, uh, off the field troubles. Um, he he hit a teenager with his car on purpose because he egged his dad's house. Oh, um, is that what yeah. happened? Oh, yeah, man. yeah. I mean, he didn't like run him over. Um, thank goodness, but he did bump him with his with his truck wow. um, and knock him over because he egged his dad's house. And you know the cork bat story, which. If you've never heard that cork bat story, it's incredible. Um, I don't know. Do you want me to go in into that now? Yeah, or? yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So the the, the cork bat story. It, you know, a lot of guys have either gotten caught with a cork bat or ex, or experimented with a cork bat. Well, it was it was kind of rumored around in in 1994 that Albert Bell was using a cork bat. So uh, in a game, I can't remember who they were playing, uh, but in a game, the the opposing manager. Um, used his uh, little known rule here, used his one bat challenge to challenge Albert Bell's bat. And so what they do is they confiscate the bat and nothing changes and they examine it after the game. And if it's found to be an illegal bat, you can uh, protest and players get disciplined, that sort of thing. So anyway, they lock up Albert Bell's bat in an umpire closet. And the, the Indians, now Guardians, but the Indians at the time knew that that bat was corked so they sent Jason Grimsley, a relief pitcher who was unavailable and who was crazy in his own mind. Uh-huh. Um, Jason Grimsley, they sent him up through the ceiling. So like Mission Impossible style, going through the ceiling to drop down into the umpire's closet, steal the bat, replace it with another bat. <laughs> and it got so out of hand that the that Major League Baseball ended up calling in the FBI to investigate. <laughs> and they figured out they figured out what the Indians had done, but they couldn't figure out that it was Jason Grimsley until he admitted it a few years later. Um, he was afraid he was about to get asked about steroids, so he changed the subject to when he stole Albert Bell's bat. Um, and he and Omar Vizquel both said, yeah, the problem was we couldn't switch it with Albert's bat because in 1994, all of Albert's bats were corked. Ooh, wow. wow. So they, they had to switch it with another player's back, which is why the FBI got called in because it was obviously something weird happened. Um, it's still kind of funny that baseball called in the FBI for this. But, yeah, that story is it's crazy. The game in question happened on July 15th, 1994, in Chicago with the Cleveland Guardians facing uh, the Chicago White Sox. Uh, Indians would go on to win 3-2. to two. How did Albert Bell do in that game? He went one for four with two strikeouts, so he could have used that cork bat. Uh, but <laughs> the, the, 94 was a hell of a year. That's the year the White Sox, or at least White Sox fans will tell you that they should have won the World Series. But the Guardians at that time were also building up a hell of a team. Remember, this is the White Sox team that uh, went to the ALCS the season prior to face the Toronto Blue Jays in the playoffs. White Sox lost. But uh, the assumption was that the White Sox should come back uh, in 94 and make a real run, even with the new wildcard uh, format, make a run at the playoffs and even win the division. But here come the upstart Cleveland Guardians with Kenny Lofton, Omar Vizquel, Carlos Baerga, Albert Bell, Jim Tomey. I mean, it's a hell of a hell of a team that they're forming over there, too. So who knows if uh, but and yeah. didn't Manny come up that year? I believe so. He was he did not play in this game. I could tell you that much, but uh, okay. I believe that sounds about right. Uh, both teams were neck and neck, um, uh, that day as uh, the White Sox had a one game lead on the guardians, uh, coming into that, uh, into that game with the cork bat. 
so let me see do i have the division oh, okay here we go I, oh okay so it looks like uh yeah the guardians had a better win loss percentage so they were technically in first place even though they have one less win of the white Sox. 52 games versus 53 for the white Sox, but they had a 605 win loss percentage so therefore they're in first place um uh, although the white Sox gave up a lot less runs than the guardians the guardians uh, pitching what always was always iffy something else about jason grimsley since you mentioned that uh, i was able to look it up and i see a headline the first headline i see is jason grimsley attempted suicide hot i did not know that i did not know that and i'm like wow uh when was this and the article was from six hours ago and of course i am stuck in all sorts of ads so i cannot get to the article in question but jason grimsley you mentioned that he was a character jason grimsley uh known drug user uh let's see according to wikipedia uh 2006 it was reported that federal officials had raided grimsley's home looking for evidence that was that he was distributing human growth hormone and other performance enhancing drugs in 2006 so there you go and then uh he admitted to using performance enhancing drugs in june of 2006 that's saying okay so that was on around the same time that his house was raided diamondbacks announced that they would not pay the rest of his 2006 salary an estimated $875,000. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, on June 12th, Grimsley was suspended for 50 games for violating the uh, MLB's uh, drug prevention program. Uh, anything else we should know about him? His drug use began in 1998 while in Buffalo, New York. After a nine-year Major League Baseball career, he was in the minors trying to get back to the majors after a shoulder injury. Among the drugs that he has used are decadurabolin, amphetamines, human growth hormones, and clenbuterol. Prior to the use of performance enhancing drugs, he had earned a total of $1 million. Subsequently, he earned $9 million. After that, he has ERA dropped by a run after... Hey, and who says that these drugs don't help? I mean, come on. <laughs> they, there's a reason why they go out of their way. They risk it all just to get a, a, a taste. But yeah, uh, here it is. November 28, 2022. So this is a, a recent article from USA Today. Today, I guess. Former Major League pitcher Jason Grimsley details bleak bout with addiction, profound recovery, and the new book. So there you go. There's a new book to be sold, so now he's going to tell all, and maybe he'll even drop some names, so we'll see. So there's the, so interesting little tidbit about Jason Grimsley. Jason Grimsley, if anybody's associated with Jason Grimsley, uh, you're more than likely a drug user yourself, right? <laughs> Which means it's time to play who the Jason Grimsley played with and for throughout his Major League Baseball career. And I am looking at one particular team and one particular team only, and nope it wasn't no he was the royals when kurt schilling was with the uh with the diamondbacks anything to soil kurt schilling's name i am all for it but uh, in 95 grimsley was with the guardians uh so that was a team with bell manny ramirez they made it to the world series uh grimsley was also with the yankees roger clemens also on the ballot right uh in 99 and 2000 so you could uh do guilty by association there and then he would go on to the Royals and the Orioles before he landed with the Diamondbacks in 2006, and he got busted for PED use. So, um, well, Orioles, wasn't uh, Rafael Palmeiro still around in 2004? Palmeiro, Tejada, Brian Roberts, they had a bunch of guys get busted. Hey, now we're talking. You know, who says? This is what we call circumstantial evidence, right? Uh, so, but uh, uh, Kevin, did you mention if Albert Bell would uh, be in your Hall of Fame, yes or no? This one is close in terms of on the field production, um, you know, career war, pretty similar to Mattingly. Uh, but the difference to me 
in terms of on-field production is that Albert Bell had the insane peak, mm-hmm. uh, whereas Mattingly, Mattingly's peak was very good, but it was not one of the best ever like Albert Bell. So if it was strictly about on the field, I would I would deeply consider putting Albert Bell as a yes on, on my ballot. But his off-the-field stuff, you know, whether it's cheating with court bats or trying to hit kids with cars or um, his DUI arrest or all of his – other um, activities, we'll say. Um, I've got to go no. I'll invoke the character clause there and say no. All right. Uh, really quick, something else about Jason Grimsley. There, I finally found the uh, the story about his attempted suicide. It was the afternoon of August 21st, 2015. Uh, this one did not make the news. It was a day that Jason Grimsley tried to kill himself. Grimsley, high on an ounce of cocaine, six bottles of vodka, and a few cans of beer, cocked his pistol, put the barrel next to his left eye, and pulled the trigger, waiting for the bullet to finish his life. Uh, so that is all on the book that it's about to be released. So I don't know, guys. That sounds like an interesting read to me. So we might have to check it out. I need to, as you guys can see, need to add to my collection here. So, uh, Austin, to you now. Albert Bell, yay or nay for the Hall of Fame? Um, I'm going to kind of reiterate what Kevin said. He is a really interesting candidate, uh, on, on the field. He has one of the best, uh, he has one of the best peaks in history. And when you look at, according to fan graphs, you look at the, uh, what a typical hall of famer looks like he meets some, he doesn't meet all of the criteria. His, his, uh, his career is way too short in order for, you know, for a hall of fame career on average, uh, Hall of Famers are playing about 18 seasons. Uh, he only played 12. Um, and I just looked it up while you guys were talking. And because I was wondering, I was like, because he produced all the way up to the end. And I was, you know, and he played 140 to 160 games every year. And I was trying to figure out why he retired. I don't know if you guys know why he retired. Osteoarthritis in the hips is why he retired. Okay. Um, but, you know, I, I think he, he, I think the main thing is, um, I, in my opinion, he, his career is too short. Um, if your career is going to be 10 to 12 seasons long, you better be really, really good. And while he had one of the best peaks probably in major league sports, I don't think it's good enough to get him over the hump in terms of the contemporary era. So I'm going to keep Albert Bell. I would keep him out of the field. All right. Uh, quick shout out to Carlos. Uh, I believe he's a Mets fan from Florida tuning in. And then we got a couple, a few actually uh, supplemental uh, comments from some uh, by, by a guy named Michael. I'm not going to give out his last name. Uh, I don't I don't know him like that. I think he's a Yankee fans. But here here's a few of them. Bell having 50 home runs and 50 doubles in the same season in 95 in 144 games is very impressive. No argument for me. That was a very impressive feat. It's the uh, only time it's ever happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, his injuries finished any chances, he says. Uh, as Austin mentioned, there was a hip problem. The hips don't lie. Probably, can I just say it? Probably after years of use of PEDs. There, I said it. I said it. I'm not sorry. He had, uh, Michael also mentions, he had quality, not quantity. He was more dominant in seven years than guys had in 20 years. Yeah, so was Sandy Koufax. Um, so, I mean, he's in the Hall of Fame. Why not put Albert Bell in the Hall of Fame after only seven really impressive years? Let's just do that. No? Do you guys disagree? Okay. <laughs> you you did mention the PED use, and he might have, but according to Jason Grimsley, Albert Bell was not a user, and Jose know, Canseco man. also said that. But I mean, as just, we know, 
I'm as we know, both both Grimsley and Canseco are not exactly uh, the most trustworthy of people. Well, they're also the ones who open up the floodgates. So, I mean, do it's we? Tr- uh, what? Who better to trust than a bunch of criminals? Right. Well, they're not really criminals, but I mean, I guess they are because it, it is illegal what they were doing. Um, even if it wasn't illegal among Major League Baseball rules, but it is. I mean, it's illegal. I mean, people almost went to jail back in the 80s and 90s for utilizing uh, PEDs for the very nature of the cosmetic use that these guys were trying to utilize it for um, because the FDA did make it uh, federal government. I shouldn't say the FDA, but I guess the FDA would, would enforce that. But the federal government did make it illegal that, hey, unless you're using this for medical medical usage, uh, we are not going to allow you guys to do it for cosmetic or strengthening reasons. Uh, Manny Ramirez came up on 93, Michael says. Also, a big shout-out to Melvin. Melvin's going to be appearing right after our, our program as he talks about uh, the Caribbean League, uh, baseball around the world, and the World Baseball Classic that's upcoming. So I'm going to say no for Albert Bell. I think he did use. I just I just remember how, what he looked like and the association but uh, through guilt with Jason Grimsley. I, I'm sorry. I You know, to be fair, I think everybody used. And that's the only thing that keeps me sleeping at night. But as you guys can see from the list, uh, some notable names. Julio Franco. There's a guy. There's a guy. Every once in a while, Baseball Reference will have a picture of Julio Franco. And let me tell you, man, Julio Franco. He's uh, jacked. Well, not not right now he is in terms of the picture that Baseball Reference has. See, they have the old Cleveland. Uh, oh, yeah, back when he was scrawny, but around '95, if you ever see a, a a picture of him with the White Sox, yeah, he um, he doesn't look right. He looks like a like a like a villain from the Disney character, from a Disney movie with the X shape and bulbous head structure. It's kind of disgusting. But hey, yeah, anybody ever wonder how you can stay in this baseball game forever? You do what Julio Franco does. All right, Johnny Damon's on the list, uh, former champion and and also teammate of Kurt Schilling, who we'll be talking about. And there's George Foster, ranked number eighty. Let's see if we can move up a little bit more. There's Dale Murphy. So this is a guy who lots of people are going to say was definitely not using. Uh, was that you, Kevin, that mentioned that he didn't even drink coffee, let alone do drugs or PEDs? Is that what you said? Or was that somebody else? Yeah, yeah. So he, and I, I can't speak to his older life, I don't know, um, but he was a very uh, hardcore Mormon. Um, mm. He didn't He didn't drink coffee. He wouldn't take painkillers. Like he Again, that might have changed. I don't know. But during his playing career, he uh, he did not. Um, now, I mean, obviously people can lie. But, um, yeah. <laughs> people can lie. But, yeah. So, so let's talk about it. There's Dale Murphy. Uh, mostly a catcher, but he also did first base and outfield. Kind of the, taking the same route as a guy like Joe Torrey did. Uh 398 home runs. That's uh, that's more than Albert Bell. Huh? So last I checked, 398 home runs beats 381 home runs every single time. More RBI than Albert Bell. 161 stolen bases from a catcher. I mean, that that should that's pretty darn good, right? Right? Yeah, he, he actually he was a center fielder most of his career. He, he came oh. up as a catcher there. Oh, okay. All right. Thanks for clarifying. So what? He's Dalton Varsho then? Is that what he is? <laughs> so, Maybe so. 1978, 11 stolen bases, 14 stolen bases in 81, and then 82, 23 stolen bases. In 83, he had 30, 19, 10, and 84, and 85, respectively. So yeah, 
uh, he could steal bases in bunches when uh, his heart desired and probably had the center field speed uh, back in the, yeah, maybe even a little bit of Craig Biggio in him too, huh? Although I think Craig Biggio stole a lot more than 161 stolen bases. And then you get to the rate stats with Dale Murphy, 265 batting average, 346 on base. So not very impressive even during this uh, uh, 35-year period that I'm utilizing here. Slugging percentage is decent. Ops is decent. Woba's okay. WRC plus a little bit below everybody else's. And, of course, the 44.3 uh, wins above replacement. Who did Dale Murphy on this on this on uh, for this episode? I did. Go ahead. What do you got to say? What do you got to tell me about Dale Murphy? Um, so it's funny. Uh, I mean, steroids, especially in this in these next few people we're going to talk about here, are going to be very prevalent. And we've already talked about it. Um, Dale Murphy's uh, conversion to Mormonism is a huge part of his life, um, especially late um, in his younger days because he converted to Mormonism. And of course, you know, that in Mormonism, you don't drink alcohol, you don't do any of that. And part of that is taking steroids. So um, it goes on here. And in 2005, Dale Murphy actually started a foundation. The foundation's name is I Don't Cheat. And it promotes honesty to young athletes and the dangers of taking performance enhancing drugs. Um, And he's been very vocal about former teammates and, you know, people of his era taking steroids. Um, you know, there's been a lot of people that go and ask him, was this guy taking steroids, that guy taking steroids? He's talked about Roger Clemens. He's talked about a lot of different people from the steroid era. Um, but I just think it's kind of funny. We're talking about, you know, he may have used steroids. I don't know. And then we got Dale Murphy, who starts a foundation about kids not taking steroids. Um and then another kind of fun fact in 2017, uh, Dale Murphy opened up his own restaurant in Atlanta. It's called Murph's. Oh, okay. Very original. Yeah. And he lives in, he lives in Utah. So of course he I does. would, I would, I would guess he's probably still Mormon, but you never know. It's the only reason to live in Utah is, is that you're a Mormon. Ask our friend, Angel, Angel Morales, <laughs> who is, I believe, well, I'm not going to get to his, uh, personal stuff but he does live in utah for sure and he's a big jazz utah jazz fan uh dale murphy and kurt schilling were teammates at the very least in 1992 so that's a pretty cool fact there um with uh and don't and and let's let's be careful here you guys because just because someone says they're not a cheater doesn't mean that they didn't cheat i'll give him the benefit of the doubt but usually the i'd be very wary of guys who loudly proclaim something like that you know who was the biggest proclaimer of of not cheating was wrestler Hulk Hogan. You know he used to say, "I do, I take, I do my vitamins and I say my prayers, brother." So, and then he got busted for PED use. And yeah, so it's I'd be very careful with trusting people who say, "Oh, I don't do any of that. I don't do any of that." Everybody's guilty. There's no sacred saints. There's nobody that we can trust. It's just for me personally, it's all relative. Like, how were you? Like in terms of the character clause, were you? as bad as some of the guys were you albert bell bad i guess did you run over a kid that would be one or uh did you end up looking like julio franco and his bulbous shaped head no just a little bit maybe i don't know because that's all we got now we can't trust anybody we can't trust anything i'm a 90s kid i i'm scarred for life uh thumbs up or thumbs down dale murphy into the hall of fame yay or nay no Dale Murphy doesn't make it for me. The only, the only measure, the only metric that I saw of his that he made, uh, that he made that is an average Hall of Famer is the number of years he played. He played in 18 seasons. After that, there isn't anything else that he meets. Um, again, Hall of very good, 
but not Hall of Fame? Uh, I got to say, Matt is on the chat saying that this data table is impressive. Finally, someone who can appreciate my colors. That's like the number one critique that you use so many colors. But the reason I use so many colors is so I can make sense of the numbers I see in front of me, right? Like I said, I, I switched. I mean, Austin, Austin's, uh, he knows firsthand how much I love the colors usage yep. on the, <laughs> the spreadsheets <laughs> because uh, it would drive me insane if it was just uh, all clear and all white. So, uh, Kevin, did you say yes or no for Dale Murphy? All right. Uh, this is hard for me. Uh, some of you might know I'm a big Braves fan. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have a signed Dale Murphy jersey in a big giant frame hanging up upstairs. Um, he's a two-time MVP. You know, he was the face of the Braves in the, the 80s, especially the early 80s. But I, I just can't, man. I just can't. You know, he played 18 years, and nine of those 18, he was either average or below average as a player. Mm. That kind of just kills it for me. You yeah. know, he – he had a he had a good peak. I mean, it was not you know top ten type peak like maybe Albert Bell, but it was a really good peak. But the rest of his career was actually pretty bad. Well, let's say his peak was from eighty to eighty seven, and of course, that now that I want to uh, do this, uh, Baseball Reference is not cooperating with me. Usually, when you click on Baseball Reference, you you click from a, a certain number of years, you get a little small data table, and that should mm -hmm. tell you. Um, just the uh, oh there it is it showed up just right now okay so my computer is just being stupid and but oh here it is during the 1980 to 1987 season dale murphy hit 285 with a 374 on base percentage a 517 slugging percentage and an ops plus a 140 i mean if we're gonna we're gonna give out concessions to our bell for his peak we might as well this well do the same thing for dale murphy i'm just saying so i mean just i understand that it, it's um he was uh, probably at this point of his uh, throughout his career, he was more of a uh, of an accumulator of statistics and an actual uh, impact of statistics. There was a stretch of seven or eight seasons where Dale Murphy was killing the crap out of the ball and was stealing a lot of stolen bases during the his uh, uh, during his uh, peak. Uh, any He's winning gold gloves too. Oh, yes. Yes. Thank you for pointing that out. Thank you so much for that. Yes. Uh, Silver Sluggers as well. Uh, top uh, top 10 MVP votes. Uh, did I am I reading this right? Did he win MVP in 82 and 83? And 83. And oh, then my God. That, those weren't even his best years. Well, then, well, shit. Might as well put him in the Hall of Fame. What kind of what kind of sport do we have here that you can't get a two-time MVP winner into the Hall of Fame? That's just That doesn't sound right, guys. That doesn't sound right. But that's baseball, right? Uh, any idea if uh, maybe Austin, you might know any idea if Michael and and Matt are related? Uh, I have no idea. I was just actually thinking the same thing. I'm not sure. They have the same last name, yeah. and it's kind of a unique last name. So I would assume they're related, but I don't well, know. Maybe, uh, either maybe way, yeah. <laughs> well, either way, I am grateful that you guys are uh, tuning in this evening because I know you guys could be watching that thrilling Steelers versus Colts oh, game. You just said it. They're brothers. Oh, oh well, son of a b. All right, awesome. Well, I, I had a feeling. Well, uh, there's an echo there. So, so make sure you guys are, uh, what do you call it, silent over there. But yeah, uh, see Matt's saying that Mikey's loving the discussion. So I do appreciate you guys tuning in. Melvin says that steroids point is moot. Or David Ortiz is already in. I go as far back as saying, hey, once you let Craig Biggio in, then you can just stop with the steroids talk because you already let him in. And and my, my accusation of Craig Biggio comes from, listening to the Boars and Bernstein show here in Chicago on the radio. 
excuse me. And one of the things that um, Diane Bernstein would state was that Craig Biggio was a known PED user, but you know he was so loved that the media kind of ignored that. But there was, and again, might might sound like hearsay, but one of the threats that his wife made towards Craig Biggio was, if you try to to cheat on me or separate from me or divorce me, I will go to the media and say that you were uh, utilizing PEDs and stuff of that nature. So, but yeah, it's been moot just because David Ortiz got elected. doesn't mean that other players have not snuck their way in, which again, it's, it's it, the only crime that some of these guys who are, um, who are swirled in those rumors is that they got caught, I think. And maybe yeah. that's just, maybe that's just me being a, a jaded person as in general, but I, I just I can't do it, man. I can't just see this game for what it is anymore. Someone it, and anyway, I don't want to go off a tangent because I know we got other players to talk about. A uh, quick shout out to Jacob, uh, uh, my f- uh, fellow admin in the basketball group. We got to for the 48th best player on this list, Fred McGriff, the crime dog. I know uh, Kevin's going to enjoy talking about Fred McGriff for a little bit. Um, how many seasons did he play for the Braves there, uh, Kevin? I think I think Austin actually did the our McGriff oh, okay. research for us tonight. If he would I not did. Think that. he yeah. played for he played for the Braves for five seasons from '93 to '97. Oh, '93. Okay. Well, I, I I was hoping Kevin would know because I know he's a big Braves fan, but that's fine. Uh, we can let uh, Austin share his work. But before I go back to Austin, here's the stats: uh, two thousand four hundred ninety hits, almost twenty five hundred hits. Is twenty five hundred good enough for you guys for someone to be elected into the Hall of Fame? Uh, it depends. I think, yeah, it depends. It depends. <laughs> I mean, this this one is this one is tough because um, I'll just I guess I'll just kind of blow it. McGriff is one of the ones that I have going yep. into the going into the Hall of Fame. I've said McGriff should be in the Hall of Fame for a while. So um, yeah. So in this case, the answer would be yes. Uh, all right, but. Kevin says it depends. What do you mean? Isn't 2,500 hits still 2,500 hits? What do you mean it depends, Kevin? Can you elaborate, please? I can elaborate. Uh, some of it some of it just depends on, like, are you a compiler of hits? Uh, and what I mean by, by that is, you know, there, there's a guy who some people argue uh, Hall of Fame credentials are not, Omar Vizquel, right? Mm. One of the best defensive shortstops ever. Um, that that If he gets in, that'll be why. But he has over 2,500 hits, and he was – actively a bad hitter most of his career i see but he got he got a lot of at bats over a lot of years and because he was fast in the era that he played in he was often at the top of the lineup getting even more at bats so you know if he's an average shortstop instead of elite he has no hall of fame no hall of fame shot whatsoever despite the fact that he's got what 2900 hits i think yeah really viscal does yeah viscal it's over 25 i know yeah, and that's the quietest uh, twenty nine hundred hits ever, if you ask me. Then, well, if Vizquel gets to three thousand, that was that's usually the uh, the magic number to automatically get into the Hall of Fame. So two thousand eight hundred seventy seven. Holy Jesus! So yeah, he was two hundred hits short of anybody questioning him at that point. But yeah. I mean, it's like we talked about. I mean, that's why I asked. I know three thousand is the magical number, but is twenty five hundred just as good as three thousand? And apparently, it just depends. So let's see what it depends on, right? Uh, for McGriff, 493 home runs, so I guess that would pass the uh, the depends test that Kevin is uh, that Kevin pointed out. Yeah, 20, I agree. Yeah, 500 hit, uh, home runs out of your 20 uh, 2500 hits were 500 home runs. That's pretty impressive. Uh, 1550 RBI, 
And then you get to the rate stats, 284 batting average, uh, which is okay to, you know, average, average back in those, those days. But here's where he flourishes, 377 on base percentage, 509 slugging percentage, 886, which is above average still. And then, of course, the WRC plus of 134, which is uh, slightly above average. And then 56.9, almost 57 war, just behind guys like John Olerud and Dave Winfield. Although Dave Winfield, uh, I think he's missing some years here because I only went back to 1975. Uh, there's a former MVP, Keith Hernandez, not in the Hall of Fame, but arguably one of the best, if not the very best defensive first baseman of all time. Andre Dawson is in the Hall of Fame. Bobby Abreu, uh, did he make it or is it that? No, his... he didn't make it. He still he did not. Ballot, but he didn't make it. All right. Well, uh, the rumblings from people saying that he should be in the Hall of Fame seem to be getting louder and louder every year. So with that said, Austin, you said you uh, you were the one covering Fred McGriff for this episode? I did cover Fred McGriff. Um, Fred McGriff. So we talked about uh, names, nicknames, a little earlier. And uh, in my opinion, this is my uh, Fred McGriff is my favorite nickname ever. He's the crime dog, yep. and I just I love I love that name. Um, I don't know what it is about the the name. I just I just like it. And apparently, Fred McGriff got his name from the cartoon character. That's right. Uh, it's it was a cartoon public service announcement dog named McGruff in the <laughs> 1990s. Um, so and that's where he got crime dog because McGruff and McGriff, they sound the same. Um, the other comment that I wanted to make about Fred McGriff is offensively, he was very, very consistent mm-hmm. um, in terms of his offensive production. 20 seasons in a row d- that um, Fred McGriff has an OPS plus above 100, which means that. According to statistics, for 20 seasons in a row, he was an above average hitter. Um, starting from what is that, 19, 1987, all the way to uh, 2002, somewhere around there, about 20 seasons, he was an above average hitter, which is, in my opinion, <laughs> that's really good. Um, he became part of the Atlanta Braves. In the mid-90s, 94, 95, 96, right when they were going to all those playoffs and those World Series, and he helped the Braves win the World Series in 95. And then he actually helped Tampa Bay, the Devil Rays, get off, get on their feet as an expanse and as an expansion era team and uh perform pretty well. Um, so you know, Kevin said that the, that it depends 2,500 hits. It depends on what else he's done. 2,500 hits alone. I agree because, you know, if you just based it on 2,500 hits, you know, then alone, then yeah, he could be in the league for 25, 26 years and get 2,500 hits. But the fact that Fred McGriff had 20, what is it? 24. 2,500 hits close and, to it. Yeah. Yeah. Close to it. And what is that about? You know, there are about 500 of them were home runs and he was producing for a long, long time for multiple, a multitude of different teams. I've said it for a long time. In my opinion, it is a travesty that, that um, Fred McGriff is not a hall of famer. I've said that Fred McGriff has been a hall of famer for years now. He needs to be, <laughs> and I think he's got a good shot to be in the hall of fame this year. You mentioned Tampa Bay. He's he is actually from Tampa Bay, so him uh, playing for the Devil Rays was a homecoming for him. So you're saying yes, Kevin. I have to assume you're also saying yes for McGriff. I am. I am. I, it's everything that Austin just said, man. He was consistently a really good hitter for two decades. Won a championship. Um, you know, he 
his only flaw, so to speak, was that he was overshadowed by a bunch of steroid monsters Yeah, <laughs> during the, the late 80s and the 90s. You know, he didn't hit 70 home runs like McGuire, but he hit 30 something a lot. How dangerous was Fred McGriff in 19? What is that? 91. He led the league in intentional walks with 26. Uh, a decade later, what Barry Bonds would lead the league with a hundred plus intentional walks or something crazy like that. So yeah, you speak about the monsters of his era, uh, that it, it just makes his 26 intentional walks look like, look like nothing at this point. I also appreciate Austin, uh, talking about McGruff, like he just found out about him recently. <laughs> yeah. Dude, you I, grew remember up... I was born in 95, man. Yeah, I 95. it's, I'm sorry, brother. It's still weird to me as someone who grew up watching McGruff, the crime dogs and the PSAs. It's just kind of, um, it, it's mind blowing that it, get this, you guys, there used to be a cartoon dog back in the day called McGruff. Like, like, like it's just, I don't know. It's just, there, it's, I'm usually pretty good with, with pop culture references, even, you know, that were before my time. So, you know, you got to give me one every once in a while. Um, I also wanted to comment really quickly on it actually stems from uh, one of Matt's comments here um, talking about Bobby Abreu. Um, he sees that Bobby Abreu is a few up from McGruff and he wanted to know if uh, any of us think that Bobby Abreu was a hall of famer. Um, I've said that Fred McGriff is a very underrated player and should be a hall of fame. I think right behind them or right behind Fred McGriff is Bobby Abreu. I think Bobby Abreu is an underrated player as well. He is a very, when you look at some of the stats, he's a very average hall of famer, meaning of all the other hall of famers, he falls right in that, right at that peak of that bell curve. I think Bobby Abreu has as much of a, uh, has as much of a claim to um, the hall of fame as people like Fred McGriff and, uh, others do so to answer matt's question yes i think bobby abreu is a hall of famer along with fred mcgriff i second the bobby abreu thing uh, as well i mean power speed combination 400 career on base percentage which in an era full of uh, as kevin put it was it kevin who said monsters uh, to describe yeah. mm-hmm. uh hey bobby abreu played in that similar era uh, at the very least at the very end of that era of monsters and he held his own at 400 and that's assuming that abreu is clean so uh, 888 ops, which I mean, he's holding on, he's only his own against these other guys. And I mean, and he's already, uh, has a better war. Although I think I'm still missing some years from Andre Dawson. Although I think Dawson's, uh, uh, what do you call it? Debut was in 77, I believe either way. Uh, he's ahead of Dawson and he's not too far behind Sammy Sosa, which as you guys know, Bobby Abreu and Sammy Sosa are pretty much doppelgangers of each other. So <laughs> now. And- yeah, well, not 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 anymore. I don't think, unless Bobby Abreu also got his uh, uh, face and his skin uh, uh, Cloroxed or bleached or whatever. Uh, other comments here that I'm wanting to read, uh, Michael, for a first baseman, 2,500 is a good number. So there you go, Melvin. 2,500 hits alone? No, 2,500 hits plus 490 home runs. Yes. Yeah, so Melvin mentioning what we just talked about. Uh, Michael Keith um, Keith Hernandez should have been on this ballot first. Uh, well, uh, I forgot who it was that compiled the ballot because the people who compiled the ballot are not the same people who are going to vote on this ballot. So um, they decided that, I mean, Keith Hernandez has not been on, on a Hall of Fame ballot. In, I don't even know how long it's been. Kevin, do you have any insight on Keith Hernandez ever? Uh, the last time Keith Hernandez might have been on a, on a Hall of Fame ballot. 
Uh, I cannot tell you the exact uh, the exact year, but it has been at least a decade. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I don't. I mean, you're lucky to see Dale Murphy uh, on the ballot, let alone Keith Hernandez. Uh, Melvin, look at McGriff's prime and compare it to Murphy's, and you'll see the difference again, alluding to the number of hits. So, that uh, all very good points. Let's move on, and as you can see, Ryan Sandberg at the 40th ranked player according to WAR. And guess what? As Kevin uh, mentioned earlier uh, in a private chat. Ryan Sandberg is one of the electors, so he'll be voting on it uh, on the uh, ballot this year. Uh, the decision will be, made on, will be made on December 5th, I believe, next Monday, I think, right? I believe so. I think it is Monday. All right. Well, we get to the 14th best player on this list. Am I pointing my finger at the right camera here? Rafael Palmero deserves more hype for hall of fame induction stop making him the poster boy of not including him because he got caught the only crime that rafael palmero got hit with was that he got caught and guys like barry bonds who we are noticeably know we noticeably can tell that he's been using something i mean just the size of his the size of his head and and and, and just how bulky he got when you know compared to his days from pittsburgh to san francisco i mean it's obvious so i don't i just don't understand why we are able to forgive one PED user, but we are always going to hold it against Rafael Palmero for getting caught and lying to Congress. I thought Congress, I thought, I thought people love it when, 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 when people lie to Congress all the time. I thought that was a good thing for people. I, I guess not. Rafael Palmero, uh, interesting uh, little personal story. Rafael Palmero has, when I was growing up as a kid and teenager in the nineties, had one of the most beautiful left-handed swings of all time. And, and him and, and Will Clark always had a very beautiful swing. And of course, uh, uh, it makes sense because they both went to Mississippi State. They were uh, the Bulldogs there in the 80s. And they did, uh, I believe they made it pretty far in the College World Series when they were there together. Uh, Palm- I know that for many people who, uh, from my time, from my era, will always say that Ken Griffey Jr. was uh, the best-looking swing of all time. But for me, my money's always on Rafael Palmero. I can watch that guy swing. And he swung for 3,000-plus hits. 569 home runs, 1800 RBI, and there's the the slash line. I mean, the 885 ops, the 380 woba, 130 WRC plus. So in an era of steroid users, himself included, a PED user, 130 is not too um, not too outrageous. It's uh, middle of the pack, so to speak. But Palmero, where he does uh, flourish, is on the overall WAR, the wins above replacement, according to Fangraphs, with a solid 70 ahead of guys like Ivan Rodriguez, Gary Carter, Larry Walker, all those guys in the Hall of Fame. Albeit, I, I, I understand that they don't play the same position, but still, I mean, he's ahead of Jim Tomey. So, yeah. Who had Rafael Palmero on this one? I did. All right. What do you got for Rafael Palmero then? Uh, so it's really funny. I was reading about, I was reading about Rafael Palmero. Admittedly, I don't know. I didn't know as much about Palmero as I probably should have. Um, but it was really interesting to read about him. You know, my opinion in this on ster- on steroids, because he's another one that's been tied to the steroids and stuff like that. Um, I'm of this objectively. I'm of the same opinion as, um, as Melvin. If, uh, because Ortiz got in and, you know, I, I, it's hard not to consider, oh, it's hard to not consider anybody else. Um, 
Why and Ortiz then, though? Why is Ortiz at the 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 Demar- what, was, what was, is the term? But there were authors already. Jeff Bagwell got elected too, and yeah, but yeah there, there was always speculation. There wasn't ever a positive test when it came oh, to that. God. And David Ortiz is in the Mitchell report. So in my mind, Ortiz is the first one that we knew of for sure, right? And so that's why I kind of use Ortiz as the benchmark. Um, but uh, subjectively, personally. I can't, I, I, I can't, I can't vote for steroid users. I just can't. Um, right, well, so, in 2015, they elected Craig Biggio. So you guys are late. You guys are what? Seven years late to get on your high horse about this. You're seven years too late. Craig Biggio is already in the Hall of Fame since 2015. So yeah, but, to me, they, they've been electing steroid users since at the very early since 2015. And I can go, I don't, I'm not going to do that right now because I might be here forever and go into some other rabbit hole. But for me, once he got in, that was my, 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 uh, my turning point like you know what if you're gonna let that guy who again just based on the hearsay from dan bernstein if you're gonna let that guy in then i don't want to hear from anybody else that oh well i'm gonna be on my high horse and not get any elect uh induct anymore steroid users you already let the one guy in so it's already sore as, as, as it is for about seven years at the very least uh, uh, that's just a pet peeve of mine like why why wait until david ortiz to to put your flag to plant your flag on the well no that's it that's the final straw forget it the hall of fame is so it's been soiled and anyway, so I don't want to get off a tangent too much there. So, uh, so I, go ahead. So um, the anecdote that I wanted to share about Rafael Palmero was um, his beef with Will Clark. I was kind of reading about is is kind of funny. So if I if I'm reading this correctly, Palmero and Will Clark were teammates in college, and yep. they never really liked. It, it, it's very apparent that Palmero never really cared for Will Clark. And it sounds like Will Clark never really cared for Rafael Palmero, but Palmero had a tendency to run his mouth <laughs> and he ran his mouth quite a bit. Um, so he, uh, he went out and spoke out against Will Clark who replaced him. Uh, this is what I think is funny. Replaced him in Texas after um, he burned his bridges in Texas for once again, talking mad crap about the Rangers organization, about how stupid they were in terms of running their organization. Was he lying though? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so this so day. He, he talked, he talked crap about the Rangers. The Rangers didn't sign him back. He went to the Orioles and Will Clark replaced him at first base. Rafael Palmero goes and plays five seasons with the Orioles. And after his contract expires with the Orioles, the the person that replaces him is Will Clark. So I just <laughs> it just seems funny that they that Paul Merrill run in his mouth about Will Clark and about how he doesn't think he's that great of a baseball player, which then he backed he backed out. He he backed off and then went the next day and said, Oh, well, I think he's a great person and a great ball player. But he was replaced by Will Clark twice. Um, <laughs> so that it's just kind of ironic to me that they're that he's talking crap and he got replaced every every team he went to. Yeah, because uh, they're they pretty much had the same swing and the same yes. uh, went to the yeah. same college. So we'll just uh, get the poor man's version of Rafael Palmero, the one who probably I'm ten percent sure he did not use any PEDs. Uh, Will Clark didn't. Um, but you know what? If if Will Clark uh, quick to talk smack about Rafael Palmero, but he last I checked, he's very quick to defend Barry Bonds. So explain that one to me. Uh, Kevin, thoughts on Rafael Palmero? I mean, I uh, 
not not to get you on too much of a, a tangent about PEDs in the Hall of Fame, but I, uh, I I'm still trying to to hold off the best I can um, from being okay with PED users um, getting into the hall. You know, I would have never myself personally voted for anyone who I had strong suspicions or knew. Um, and we do know about Palmyra. We do know, you know, I, I appreciate you wagging your finger earlier. That was a, a nice reference to uh, Palmyra wagging his finger at half a Congress. Uh, but uh, I, if it were strictly on the field production, it's no brainer. You know, I mean, 3000 hits, 500 home runs. Um, there's only been a handful of guys to reach that combination uh, won a couple gold gloves, although he didn't deserve one of them. One of them, he only played like oh, 20 yeah. games in the field, and they gave him a gold glove. He was a DH. I I don't understand that. When but, we do our annual uh, defensive awards, I think that's one of the uh, anecdotes that we use. Well, Rafael Palmero once won a gold glove by, by not actually playing on the field. He was a DH. I think that's a story that we tell all the time. Him and, once again, Craig Biggio, uh, who won a gold glove when he didn't deserve it. But, again, because the offense was so great that they just gave him they gave those guys gold gloves. It was the 90s and 2000s, and we didn't know any better, Kevin. Come on, give us a break. <laughs> no, so all that to say, I did not include uh, Rafael Palmero as a yes on my ballot, my, uh, but if it were strictly about on the field, it would have been. All right, a couple of comments here. Uh, there's lots of uh, negative talk about Rafael Palmero. He lied and cheated, but guess what, guys? Everybody lied and cheated. There's Jeff Bagwell. He lied and cheated his way into the Hall of Fame. Uh, I'm not going to – this is not the show for me to burn any sacred cows, but I do see a couple of players that I'm suspicious of them using. But I'm not going to say anything because, you know, I don't want to get torched here too much. But there's plenty of guys. Manny Ramirez is on the top 25 player. He's not in the Hall of Fame, but he's a top 25 player of this era. Uh, Tim Raines, well, Tim Raines is in the Hall of Fame, but he was using a different type of drug. So let's uh, – there's a reason why they <laughs> call him His name is Rock. That's right. There's Rock Mark Williams. McGuire as well, who supposedly saved baseball in the 90s. And Craig Biggio, a top 28 player. Edgar Martinez, I think he used. Edgar? Yeah. I can see veins in his forearms to this day. If I ever get lost in Seattle, I just use Edgar Martinez's forearms to get me through uh, my way. Uh, <laughs> Pudge Rodriguez, Michael says. Pudge Rodriguez has a neck now and didn't as a player. Totally juiced up to in Texas. Yeah, the, the anecdote with Ivan Rodriguez is that... um. Uh, that he was using this entire time, especially in the early 2000s. Then when Major League Baseball decided to implement a drug testing uh, program, when he got to the Tigers, he shed a lot of weight. A lot of weight. And they asked It was asked like Pudge, 30 pounds in a year. Oh, right? You remember? Yeah, yeah. It was ridiculous. Like That doesn't sound right. Pudge, what's your secret to your success here for losing all this weight? Diet changes. Yeah, I'm taking care of, better care of my body and, and with a new diet. Okay. All right, Pudge. Sure. We believe you. And, of course, the number one guy on the list is Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds, the number one player since the 75, from 1975 to 2010, with the gargantuan head and the gargantuan amount of hits, the gargantuan amount of home runs. He's the home run king with a big, giant asterisk to match his big size head in the 1996 RBI, which is the year that he was probably the, using the clear. And the, I always suspected that the reason that Barry Bonds went to San Francisco was so he could be close to Balco. So... I don't know, man. I mean, that's that's a lot of red. It's a lot of red, a lot of red, and 164.4 war puts him among like, as my friend Robert Holiday would say, among the baseball gods of gods. There, uh, who has Barry Bonds on this episode? I do. 
Okay. What do you got for Barry Bonds that we don't know about him already? So a lot of people want to talk about Barry Bonds being, you know, a top five, maybe even top one player of all time. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people want to talk about Barry Bonds doing drugs, which we know he did. What a lot of people don't necessarily know is that Barry had some uh, some character trouble off the field that, that didn't involve steroids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, this isn't uh, this isn't me trying to um, get up on my high horse too much. You know, as a Braves fan, um, my manager in the 90s got in trouble for the same thing. But Barry Bonds had some domestic violence uh, accusations from multiple women, um, an ex-wife and a girlfriend, uh, one of whom showed up at the police station pretty beaten up. Um, And for the most part, some of it being the era uh, that it happened, but for the most part, it got swept under the rug. Um, We don't really talk about it very much when we talk about Barry Bonds. We talk about the home runs, we talk about the steroids, we even talk about him being a bad teammate. But we don't talk about the fact that he abused women. Yeah. And that's a big freaking deal. Uh, you know, when we, we talk about invoking the character clause um, for the Hall of Fame, like there are not, not many things up to that level for me, uh, as in as it is to abuse women. And Barry Bonds, by all available evidence, is guilty of, of that. Um, so that that strongly influences um, my thoughts on, on him, even if steroid users start getting into the hall, like without any repercussions, like I would still hesitate on Barry Bonds because of that. So, yeah, if we talk about the character clause, there is a clause in the hall of fame that, yeah, there, uh, contrary to popular belief that they should be voted in based on their integrity and morality and all that, and all those other uh, nice intangibles there. Um, so everybody will like some tangibles until it uh, it prevents people from getting the accolades that they think they deserve. So, uh, Austin, do you share the same sentiment as Kevin, or do you uh, only see him for the success that he was on the field? No, I, I can't vote very, for Barry Bonds. And the I, I think I shared this anecdote probably a couple of years ago in, in, in baseball life. I loved watching Barry Bonds hit. I loved watching Barry Bonds hit and it broke my heart as a baseball fan. I got mad when they started talking about him and, and uh, steroids, because I'm like, why are they picking on the guy that's succeeding? And, you know, just because you don't want people to pass, you know, the all-time home run leader, now you're going to find stuff that's wrong and this and that, whatever. And then all of this stuff with the Congress trial, you know, it all, it all came out and the, um, you know, tampering with evidence and stuff like that. I just, I, it broke my heart as a baseball fan. And then reading more about Barry Bonds and reading more about how terrible of a teammate he was and how he had the domestic violence issues and, you know, things like that. It really, as a baseball fan, for me, it tarnished his image that he put on the field and it tarnished the way that he played ball, his image affected the play on the field. And I think for me, that's kind of where I draw the line in terms of the character clause is if it applies to the baseball field. And there's just too much of Barry Bonds's character that applied to the baseball field. 
So I I can't vote for Barry. I've always been one that says I don't want to put Barry Bonds in the in the Hall of Fame. I'm the same with Roger Clemens. I, as much as I loved watching Roger Clemens, I I can't bring myself to put him in the Hall of Fame. Um. So, but yeah, I kind of share the same sentiments as 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 Kevin. Uh, I can't put Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame. All right, let's go over to the starting pitchers then. Uh, let's see. This one should be easy. Let me make this a little bit bigger. It's only two names. And they're at the very top of the list. Let's start with, uh, well, let's start with Roger Clemens this time around. Roger Clemens is the number one pitcher um, on the list. This this chart goes from 1980 to 2010, minimum 2,000 innings. And as you guys could see, only 35 players were uh, ranked uh, from a list of 78 to 35. So guys like Brad Recchi, Mark Burley, Kenny Rogers, Fernando Valenzuela. Oops, there you go. Now I can see the whole name. And even Bert Blylevin, although I think Blylevin was uh, a 1970s player than an 80s player. But yeah, those guys are probably not going to smell the Hall of Fame anytime soon. But there's Roger Clemens, the 354 wins, 4,900 innings pitch, uh, 23.1 strikeout rate, which uh, is above average, but kind of low because he was known as the Rocket. You would think that a guy named nicknamed Rocket uh, would have a higher strikeout rate, but still pretty darn good. But everything else about him, I mean, you guys are seeing a sea of red and has the most war of anybody on this list. The guys behind him, Greg Maddox, Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, and Mike Mussina, uh, are all are all in the Hall of Fame already. Roger Clemens, uh, so there was an article from Jay Jaffe last week, uh, and he mentioned something uh that there were some sexual things going on with Roger Clemens, and but he didn't um I didn't see him elaborate any further, so a quick Google search. And yeah, uh, the New York Daily News reported that Roger Clemens carried on a decade-long affair with country star Minty McCready, a romance that began when McCready was a 15-year-old aspiring singer performing in a karaoke bar, and Clemens was a 28-year-old Red Sox ace, married father of two, several sources have told. And then, yes, McCready did confirm that although they didn't have any sexual relationships until she was 18, uh, they the encounters between the two of them uh, were definitely true, and she, there was love interest between the 28-year-old and the 15-year-old uh, country singer. So there's uh, you talk about character clause. I mean, we already give. Uh, hey, if you guys are in baseball life, you'll see the first thing that people say when anybody wants to talk about Pete Rose's um, chances of making it to the Hall of Fame. There's about 10 comments that say, "Oh, well, he's a pedophile," so I don't even want him anywhere near the Hall of Fame, let alone anywhere near a school. So. Yeah, uh, Roger Clemens has a little bit of that in him as well. Uh, who has Roger Clemens uh, for today's episode? That would be I did. I did. Right, go ahead. Uh, and you, you took uh, you took most of my an- anecdote there. I am so um, sorry. No, it's all right because actually, um, you mentioned that uh, uh, Miss McCreary um, said that they didn't have any um, you know sexual relationship until she was of age. Uh, that's what she said later. When they when they asked her in the 80s about it, she just declined to talk about it. Um, So I'm not saying necessarily what happened. I'm just adding that nugget to to the story Um, that could have been to protect Roger Clemens uh, as much as anything else. Um, But from my research on it, it was decently well known at the time that it was happening, um, which makes it honestly that much worse for me that people knew about it and just didn't care. Um, but yeah, Roger Clemens, obviously top 10 pitcher of all time, maybe higher than that, but uh, there, there are other things that immediately 
disqualify him from Hall of Fame contention in my book. Um, yeah, and that's not even talking about the the HGH uh, that <laughs> that he used and that they found his DNA all over um, all over the medical equipment um, that had HGH in it. And yeah, it, it's a mess. Uh, Matt uh, is asking, and uh, Michael, I, I saw his thunder as he also uh, mentions, wow, Roger Clemens sounds a lot like Pete Rose. Uh, <laughs> Matt is asking, where does David Cohn compare to Roy Holiday? So again, uh, among the war leaders, David Cohn's ranked 13th. Roy Halliday is 17th. Roy Halliday, I mean, he pitched in an era where where we weren't counting our, our on our starters, our starting pitchers, to go too deep into ball games. Whereas David Cohn was still uh, uh, in an era where we were still expecting our starting pitchers to go eight or nine innings, at the very least seven innings. I mean, when I was growing up in the uh, mid to late 90s, uh, they were even talking about, you know, guys who can't even go six innings are bad. Like Jeff Brantley, he went from being a closer to a to a starting pitcher. And they were talking, well, you know, he's a decent guy, but he can't go more than six innings pitch. He just doesn't have the stamina to go more than six innings. So seven innings uh, was uh, the threshold eventually. And then now you're seeing like we're seeing piggyback starting pitchers, right? You th- you will throw three innings and then we'll give the bullpen guy another three innings and then we'll go from there. So it's uh, the game has evolved. But as you can see, I highlighted both David Cohn and Roy Halladay. Uh, any other things that we can point out here? Uh, Halladay had a lower ERA, lower ERA minus, which is more of a league factor and ballpark factor statistic, much lower whip. Uh, the FIP was definitely lower for Roy Halladay. But David Cohn, because he played probably in more games and probably had about 600 more innings than Roy Halladay, has a slightly higher war. So for my money, I would take Roy Halladay over David Cohn, although I grew up watching David Cohn as well. And he definitely was one of the uh, better, more elite starting pitchers of my time. Uh, While we're on topic, uh, Kevin, David Cohn or Roy Halladay? Uh, It's Doc. It's got to be Doc. Doc Um, Halladay. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, I just, I was picking. Uh, <laughs> I nah, thought you were correcting I, me. <laughs> no, sorry. Sorry, no, I wasn't. I, I've always thought more David Cohn compared to to Mike Mussina uh, yeah. a little bit more. Um, Mussina obviously being a little bit more higher, high profile uh, version of David Cohn. Uh, maybe not quite, I, I, I guess I can look at the numbers here. Um, you know, not quite as many, um, strikeouts but um very similar pitchers i think uh, uh michael great postseason pitcher and over 2600 strikeouts i'm i think he's talking about david cone there oh yeah cone is a great player to bring up uh is what michael is suggesting here so yeah uh maybe one day david cone will appear on one of these contemporary lists if they ever run out of players uh austin did you get your thoughts in on roger clemens i forgot um oh. i i can't i can't really it's the same as, as Barry Bonds. I can't put Roger Clemens in as much as I want to. Uh, I can't put, I can't put Roger Clemens in the hall of fame either. Um, little anecdote I thought was funny. Um, and I think I shared this story a couple of years ago in baseball life as well. My father played baseball in Texas. He was a catcher. Mm. And when he was in high school, there were a few pitchers from the university of Texas who decided that they were going to come down and throw a bullpen and my dad was the catcher at the time. So he caught the bullpen of all these catchers or of all these pitchers. And he said that there was one in particular that was thrown especially hard and uh, he couldn't, uh, 
you know, he couldn't, uh, he, he, he was just throwing really hard and it, and it caught his attention. And I guess that player afterwards grabbed a ball and signed it and tossed it to my dad and said, here you go, kid. That's for, uh, that's for when I make the bigs. And my dad was like, who is this clown thinking <laughs> bigs and whatever that player was Roger Clemens. Wow. Um, I love that. So, who is this clown? Yeah. Who is this clown coming over here thinking he's going to be a big shot in the MLB? And it happened to be Roger Clemens. That's funny. Um, so, yeah. Um, and Roger Clemens was one of my dad's favorite players. And I, you know, I, you know, I was young. I was a younger kid when uh, Clemens was playing, especially in his heyday. But, you know, looking back in it again, it has to do with the steroids and how it impacted uh, the ball field. And I can't put Clemens in the Hall of Fame. And then really quick, David Conner, Roy Halladay for you. Um, this might be recency bias because I watched more of him, but I would go with Doc. I'd go mm-hmm. with Roy Halladay. Interesting. Well, uh, when you can I, think about it like this too, like yeah, there was a time when you could make an argument that Doc Holliday was the best pitcher in baseball. There was yeah. never a time really that you could say David Cohn was the best pitcher in baseball. No, that's as much true. As he that's- was good. As much as he was good. Yeah, but it's a different era. And then Halliday had the endurance and stamina. I think I did this uh, exercise a couple of years ago when he, a few years ago, a couple of years ago, a few, I don't even know, but when he died, when he passed away, unfortunately, um, he didn't uh, impress on a lot of the cumulative stats, right? Because he didn't play that much, but his impact was felt. I mean, he had, at the very least, he had a lot of complete games uh, in an era where we're not expecting that from our pitchers, but still, uh, there is something to be said about him being 600 innings uh, shorter than David Cohn. Uh, I think I would pick Doc Holliday just because I, you know, because he did dominate uh, uh, in an era where starting pitchers weren't that dominant to begin with, but I don't know, not to shortchange David Cohn. I mean, like I said, I grew up watching David Cohn uh, and he was pretty damn impressive himself. So, uh, but at any rate, we got to the big monkey in the middle here, Kurt Schilling. Uh, I've stated Time and time again, my dislike towards the guy. It is uh, for the stuff that he does off the field. It is because he has decided to align himself with a very dangerous uh, section of the uh, the political spectrum, the the extremely far right wing nut jobs that are out there spewing all types of conspiracy nonsense about elections and and shootings. And this is a Nazi paraphernalia collector as well. So, and you know, he's an Islamophobe and a on a homophobe and a transphobe, you know, it, put the word phobe on at the end and then he's, he's all for it. You know, he's, he's it. So, uh, he, I mean, he's a telephobe as well. He's afraid of telephones. I don't know, but that's Kurt Schilling, but there is no denying that, you know, uh, he doesn't have the wins or the innings pitch. There's another guy who kind of, uh, suffered, uh, started suffering in an, uh, the era that he was in because of all the PED hitters probably. But I mean, there, I think that's, the 4.66 strikeout per walk ratio is probably the highest on the list. There's no, I'm not even going to bother. It has to be the highest uh, as uh, he was uh, all the control artist that he was and uh, respectable strikeout. Hell, highest strikeout rate than Roger Clemens. So not by a lot, but still it is higher. And the ERA does suffer. Again, I think that's more attributed to the era that he uh, that he played in. But the whip is minuscule at 1.13. Uh, FIP uh, kind of uh, suggests that his ERA should have been better than what it showed. And he is sixth on this list, uh, just beating out Kevin Brown, who probably should. I mean, if you're going to start talking about 
Kurt Schilling for Hall of Fame induction, when we should probably start talking about Kevin Brown as his numbers are not too far off from Kurt Schilling. But aside from that, uh, who wants to talk about Kurt Schilling? Or I'm sorry, who's here to talk about Kurt Schilling today? That would be me. All right, go ahead. What do you got to say um, about Kurt Schilling? So, you know, apart from the fact that he can't keep his mouth closed and his opinions to himself, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get away from that. And I'll say two things. Two things are uh, that jumped out at me that when I was researching were really interesting. Um, first of all, um, his dad was in the army um, for a long time and, you know, he, they bounced around quite a bit, but um, Kurt Schilling's dad was a big pirates fan. And the first game that um, Kurt Schilling's dad took him to was Roberto Clemente's last game. And so I just thought that was kind of a cool coincidence. And then the other thing that I wanted to put out there is Kurt Schilling struck out 3,116 batters. Um, and he's, there are only, he is one of the members of the 3,000 strikeout, the 3,000 strikeout, strikeout club that is, that are not part of the hall of fame. The other one, Roger Clemens. <laughs> of course they are. Any, uh, any other pitcher that was part of the 3000 strikeout club that is not currently playing is a hall of famer. So that's, he also had under 1000 walks, which I think, I think he's on like one of only like four guys to hit 3000 and under a thousand walks, which is crazy. Yeah. That explains the very extremely high uh, strikeout per walk rate. I mean, you don't get that by um, walking too many guys, but you're also striking out a bunch of batters too. Interesting uh, tidbit from uh, an article from Jay Jaffe, which I think he hijacked from ESPN. Former Phillies manager Jim Fergrossi nicknamed Kurt Schilling Red Like Kurt for his desire to be at the center of attention when the cameras were rolling. While Phillies general manager Ed Waite said, Schilling is a horse every fifth day and a horse's ass the other four. Whether expounding about politics, performance-enhancing drugs, the Quest Tech pitch tracking system, or a cornerstone of his legend, Schilling wasn't shy about telling the world what he thought. And there you go. You know, he's uh, he's a very controversial, very polarizing figure. And and, and Michael uh, brings up on the on the chat here. I don't care or agree with his politics, but his numbers are all there, and his postseason numbers are the best of all time for a starter. He has three thousand strikeouts. He reversed the curse with the Red Sox. Um, That's the all- other thing I was going to talk about. Was he? Yeah one of if not the best postseason pitcher of all time when you you know we talk about uh madison bumgarner and his you know his performances in the playoffs we talk about mariano rivera and his performances in the playoffs we talk about Smoltz. you know we talk about smoltz we talk about all these guys but i think um kurt schilling beats them all out when it comes to postseason performances and it's highlighted by the bloody sock game um and you know he has the uh, if if I remember correctly, he has the highest winning percentage in postseason decisions. He has an eleven and two record in postseason play. Um, in my mind, he's one of, if not the best postseason pitcher in baseball history. Yeah, the thirteen games is always better than more than two hundred game sample sizes here or whatever the number is. But I get your point. I get everybody's point. The thing with Schilling is. You can't ignore his politics because he does spew it out. He does, and it's full of vitriol, yeah. and it is it is to bring other people down. And it's borderline, it's borderline. Oh man, I don't want to use the word. I'm, I'm not going to use it. I'm not going to do it because then I, that that I was going to use the word Nazi, and so that's what he reminds me of. But he's not. He's part of that spectrum, right? And and well, Felipe, you're just a liberal Democrat, 
you know, left wing extremist yourself. But you know what? Guess who's also a, a Donald Trump supporter besides Kurt Schilling? Mariano Rivera. I would have voted for Mariano Rivera if I had a vote. I have no problem with that. You know, the difference between Mariano Rivera and Kurt Schilling is Mariano Rivera is not going on, on um, not going on the air or on interviews talking about how inferior other people are. Right. Kurt Schilling is literally he has a podcast where that he just spews hate. And like I said last year on, on this podcast, and I will say this so that my I, my face turns blue. I do not want to give that guy a platform where he is justified for his vitriol and his hate. It's that simple for me. I mean, Chipper Jones also once said that, you know, you want to combat all the immigrants from coming into the Texas border, put a bunch of alligators down there. I'm like, okay, you know what? That's fair. You want to kill my people like that who are trying to make a better life for themselves, just like your grandfathers and your grand great grandfathers did in, in, in their lifetime when they were trying to get into this country or whatnot. That's fair. You know, you're, I, I like Chipper Jones as a hitter, as a baseball player. I was able to ignore that. But you know what? That also gives me free will and free desire for him and his family to have nothing but bad things happen to them. If you're going to do that to my people, I will wish the same thing. And I've been pretty consistent about that. With Kurt Schilling, it's the same thing, but I, it's unforgivable because he he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop. That's And I think that's the difference. I think, like I said, Rivera is a Trump supporter. I make no qualms and not shine away that I, my hatred towards Donald Trump. But I am willing to over to look over Rivera's political affiliations because I don't think he's I've never seen Rivera go out of his way to uh, downgrade a, a group of people like the guy he voted for and like the way Schilling does. So I think that's what the big difference is not just simply, well, I'm just going to ignore his politics. Yeah, you can ignore his politics when he's not saying any, anything when he's not, you know. What do you call it? Downgrading other people. But that's what he does on a daily basis. Literally, he writes articles for far-right extreme uh, websites, and he has a podcast where he spews that nonsense out. And I think last I checked, he still owes money to the Rhode Island uh, State Treasury or something because uh, his video king, king company floundered. So I don't know, man. Last I checked, people who take advantage of, of the government and their taxes and the, and, the, and the grants, I believe they're called Welfare Kings and Queens, and he's the biggest one I know. I'm sorry if you get offended by that, but I don't care. Kurt Schilling started it, and I don't want to see him on, on, on June or July in Cooperstown uh, justifying his beliefs. Anyway, that's my little uh, rant against Kurt Schilling. Uh, Kevin, do you have any other thoughts on Kurt Schilling? I think I haven't heard from you in a little bit about him. No, I mean, I was going to say on the field, I think he belongs in. Um, I think without the postseason, um, without the postseason success, it's, it's not necessarily a slam dunk. I think you would get in, but you, you add the fact that he's one of the best postseason ever that that would lock it in if it was strictly on the field, but the man, uh, the man has some issues. We'll just <laughs> some is the understatement. understatement. Well, uh, you, you touched on a, a lot of them. Um, you know, the, the man obviously, obviously has, has some issues and not only that he has issues and won't, won't quit telling the world <laughs> about his yeah. issues. Yeah, because um, he, he wants to be a political pundit, but he wants none of the uh, the ramifications of being a political pundit. He still wants his cake and eat it too. He wants to be in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, because it means that he gets more money at trade shows and card shows and autograph sessions. Hall of Fame bigot, Kurt Schilling. I'm still wondering why Kevin Brown doesn't get more, more love for this Hall of Fame uh, ballots. You know, I know he probably doesn't have the accumulated stats but the rate stats are right in line with kurt schilling so i don't know man 
He has definitely I think the steroids him. played a role there too. Yeah, probably. But hey, you know I me, mean? I think Kurt was using too. So I, I, everybody was using back in those days. It was the 2000s. Please forgive us. All right. So with that being said, we are going really long. I do appreciate everybody uh, staying with us for this uh, very special episode. But here it is. Uh, here are my picks for the Hall of Fame. I did went, went with Rafael Palmero. I did go with Dale Murphy and I did go with Fred McGriff. Austin went with Kurt Schilling and Fred McGriff. And Kevin, I, I, you said you would only vote for Fred McGriff when you modified your ballot is that still the case yes yes all right our guy fearless leader henry went with don mattingly and fred mcgriff so a couple of first basemen there vince went kurt Schilling and fred mcgriff mel went with barry bonds roger clemens and fred mcgriff and sean uh my other podcast partner uh we were just we just did a show on sunday morning talking about the best pitchers of 2022 go check out that episode but he went with don mattingly dale murphy and fred mcgriff uh, guys, I think I don't need to tell you this, but we see one common name on all the ballots here. Who is it? Fred McGriff. Crom dog. Crom dog. Yeah. Uh, anybody who did you guys see a pattern all uh, forming out of the seven ballots that were on this one? Uh, I think you either let steroids in or you don't. <laughs> I think that was that's that's one of them. Uh, and then, but we all agree that crime dog should belong. And I, I think I think uh, a lot of people in the group would say that Fred McGriff belongs in the Hall of Fame. Um, yeah, but I, the, the two biggest ones is Fred McGriff belongs and you either let steroids in or you don't. Um, I was going to say that the Yankee fans voted Don Mattingly in, but Vince did not. No, Vince did not. I think he he knows better than that. But Sean did vote Don Mattingly. I think that was uh, his way of saying I'm not letting any um... – suspected PD users into the Hall of Fame. So I'm going to vote for the guys mm. who were not suspected. I, that, I'm just assuming he didn't explain why he voted the way he voted. He just gave me the names. But definitely Rafael Palmeiro, I think. Uh, I'm just tired of it, man. I'm just tired of the special achievement we want to give to guys like Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds. But Rafael Palmeiro will always be chastised for lying to Congress. I thought people enjoyed that. I thought people loved that stuff. But apparently not. And then he did get caught. So shame on him. But that's my my sentiment is his only crime is that he got caught. And that's it. Everybody else, I mean, Barry Bonds, the only reason he's not in a prison right now is because his best friend, his personal trainer, refused to snitch on him. So we all need a friend like Greg Anderson, uh, Barry Bonds' personal trainer. One week you can trust and won't snitch on us and we'll do 20 years in prison just for us as well. That's what we need in life, right? Um, so I do have some more numbers. There's the final va- the votes and the final tally. Fred McGriff with 100% of the ballot. We'll make it into the Hall of Fame according to our numbers here. Uh, Dale Murphy and Kurt Schilling got two votes each, actually, and so did Don Mattingly for 28.6% of the ballot. Palmero, Bonds, and Clemens, the very uh, highly publicized PD users, got one vote on these ballots. Uh, Kevin, what are the odds that this will be similar to the ballots that we'll see next week? Uh, I think the McGriff part, I think that's pretty much a slam dunk. At this point, especially when you consider the people on the committee, you know, um, there are several uh, several people associated with the Braves, even that played with McGriff uh, in Atlanta and, uh, you know, his friend Frank Thomas, um, and he just deserves it. So I think that part's probably pretty accurate, uh, pretty accurate representation of what's going to happen. I think the rest of it's probably off a little bit because I, I think the fact that they're given three votes, I think most of those voters are going to take advantage of all three of their votes. And I didn't, I didn't vote for him, but I think Kurt Schilling's probably going to get in. Yeah. Um, because he doesn't have the steroid cloud, whether he did or didn't, we don't ultimately know, but he doesn't have the cloud around him that some of the other guys do. 
And I kind of think that Murphy uh, might get in just because mm-hmm. he's been kind of close a few different times at different uh, voting uh, points. Um, and he's a very well-liked guy. Um, so I don't know that our our poll is going to accurately represent <laughs> what's going to happen other than McGriff. Uh, yeah, uh, I think I don't think McGriff's going to get 100 percent of the ballot. But you bring up an interesting point because it just depends who will be voting. Right. And we do have that. We have the names of the people who will be voting. And those guys are Chipper Jones, Greg Maddox. And I think we could stop sharing the screen here. So give the people a break from looking at the at the spreadsheet although i do appreciate the kind words from everybody today chipper jones greg maddox jack morris who basically is a as a as a kurt Schilling clone in the fact that both of them have gotten disrespected for hall of fame induction for very long times so jack morris might just go ahead and vote for kurt Schilling. ryan sandberg lee smith frank thomas alan tremel mlb executives paul beeston theo epstein artie moreno kim don't know how to pronounce her name. Is it? It is just Kim Ang. 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 Uh, yeah. The Marlins uh, president, I believe, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Some executive of sorts. Dave St. Peter, Ken Williams. I think we're still assuming that's Kenny Williams, uh, the executive for the White Sox. And then uh, media is some guy named Steve Hurt, which I believe he, I, I either he's a, a longtime uh, broadcaster or he's an analytics guy. I can't tell which one he is. So someone can please help me out there. Lavelle Neal. And Susan Slusser, Susan Slusser, I guess. Susan Slusser is a Giants beat writer. I am 100% sure she will be voting for Barry Bonds. So unless, uh, yeah, those San Francisco, anybody with ties to San Francisco will always forgive Barry Bonds and will turn a blind eye to what he did. Guys like Will Clark, uh, Kirk Reeder, anybody from that Bay Area. Barry Bonds is a saint, apparently. Uh, you mentioned, did we get, did I type in something about Kurt Schilling here? I must have missed it. I think I, I forgot to include Kurt Schilling. Oh, no, I was um, I was trying to type in the electors and see who they would vote for. And that's why I mentioned Jack Morris, that he uh, might share some affinity with Schilling as a snub as starting pitcher. Uh, Chipper Theo Jones, loves him. I'm sorry, who? Theo Epstein loves Schilling. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Even though he has Nazi paraphernalia, uh, Theo Epstein is more than happy to uh overlooked that little uh detail about Kurt Schilling's uh personal life. I think I read that Theo Epstein is Jewish, so that's kind of ironic that he would he would do that. Uh Chipper Jones, Greg Maddox, they all are contemporaries of Kurt Schilling. So is Ryan Sandberg. Uh I also found out that Lee Smith is uh was Rafael Palmero's teammate with the Cubs and the Orioles, a teammate of Roger Clemens with the Red Sox and a teammate of Don Manley with the Yankees. Uh, other things that I know is Chipper Jones, teammate of Fred McGriff, my vote for Dale Murphy because of the Braves connection, Greg Maddox, Rafael Palmero, uh, teammate with the Cubs and a teammate with, uh, a teammate of Fred McGriff with the Braves. Uh, did you, uh, any, did you guys find any other, uh, little, uh, connections between the electors and the electees here? I did not. Oh, okay. Uh, I know, I know Frank Thomas and Fred McGriff are friends. I don't know. I don't know if that ultimately matters too much. I don't think they're like best friends or anything like that, but I've heard Frank Thomas speak highly of Fred McGriff as a person before. And I think they have a a relationship just from playing, um, you know, around the same time. And they were, he was a teammate with Albert Bell for two years as well. Yep. Uh, 
and, and Frank Thomas got a first look at the cork bat incident himself. So I don't yeah. know if that's on the negative. other side. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's a negative enough for him not to vote for a former teammate, but yeah, there's yeah a lot of this also a lot of a uh, Midwest flair here, Jack Morris, uh, Alan Trammell. Uh, we have, uh, uh, we had the, uh, one of the guys, Dave St. Peter, Dave St. Peter is a, the president of the Minnesota twins. Uh, Lavelle Neal is a sports writer columnist from Minnesota. I already mentioned Susan Slusser. Uh, Ken Williams was working for the White Sox when they signed Albert Bell. Remember, that was a big snafu was Jerry Reinsdorf was pushing hard for a salary cap. He didn't get it. So after the 94 strike was over, he goes out and signs Albert Bell. Wait, is that right? No, sorry. It wasn't 95. It was, uh, it was later. It was 97, I I think. No, 97, because I remember that Robin Mm -hmm. Ventura broke his leg that uh, spring training and Mm -hmm. they still had Albert Bell, but that team was just horrible. Uh, Very underwhelming team that year. So it must have been 97 and 98. Uh, Theo Epstein, you mentioned, likes Kurt Schilling. Paul Beeson's a former Blue Jay president. I don't see any connections here, nor do I see him from Alan Trammell, except for the fact that he may not vote for all the uh, the suspected PED users. Um, anything else? Kim Eng, you mentioned. I think that was you, right, Kevin, who wrote that. Uh, where'd she go? Part of the leadership in the MLB-led investigation into claims against Barry Bonds regarding drug use. Was that you? Yeah, it was. Um, she was part of, she was, I believe, one of the vice presidents of Major League Baseball. Um, when they did one of the later investigations. So not, not like when Barry, uh, Barry Bond's friend, uh, Greg Anderson went to prison, but, um, but one of the investigations after he retired, um, she was part of the, the leadership of that as one of the vice presidents of major league baseball. I don't know if that would influence her vote or not, but. Uh, I, I think it would. I, I don't think she's voting for Barry Bonds. Doesn't look like she would be. But we shall see. We will find the results soon enough. Let us know who you would vote for. Some final comments from Michael. I don't think Mariano really knows the politics, to be honest. I think he's commenting on uh, Mariano's love for Donald Trump. Yeah, it might be that he's just a Republican, that he'll vote red no matter what's said. <laughs> That's my my equivalent to vote blue no matter who. Uh, so I don't know what the, what the Republicans use for their, uh, what do you call it, for their slogan uh, to always voting red. But I think Mariano just votes red no matter what they said. So I guess that's fine. Uh, but I know that he uh, he did support Donald Trump, and I didn't care too much about it. But you know why? Because he didn't say anything bad about Mexicans. So Mario Rivera, good for him. Greatest closer of all time. Trump gave him a Presidential Medal of Freedom. I think he's talking about – who's he talking about here, Rivera or Schilling? Who did Donald Trump give a Presidential Medal of Freedom to? Rivera. So it was Rivera. Okay. All right. Well, it's either one or the other, either just because he got support from Rivera or because – uh, Trump gave him a, a medal, and that's why Rivera uh, respects Trump. So, uh, Mariano is probably one of the few religious athletes who practices his beliefs and values, builds churches everywhere, and is genuinely nice from the three times I have met him. So, Michael, uh, nice, has met Mariano Rivera three times. I learned something new every day on, the, on in this group. And finally, Schilling finished second in Cy Young voting three times, and twice it was to Randy Johnson as a teammate in Arizona. So, there you go. Kurt Schilling writing the coattails of his teammates. That's what I got out of that comment. Any last words from you, Austin? Go ahead. Uh, nope. I think that's pretty much it. We're going to be starting a greatest of all time series here pretty soon on the express show. Um, I appreciate everybody, um, giving me their lists of the greatest of all time for each position. We're going to compile the data. The lists are actually really interesting. Um, especially the last few, the starting pitchers were interesting. Um, relief pitchers seem to be a little more, um, it seems to be more agreed upon, but the starting pitchers and first baseman were very interesting um, 
lists and a lot of jockeying around. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll debut that in the future, in future episodes of the uh, express show. Kevin, last words from you, please. I just want to say, I'm looking forward to to hearing the greatest of all time series. That'll be a, a fun, fun thing to, uh, to check out at, at, I love lists and polls and stuff, obviously. <laughs> really? uh, that's that's me. I'm that guy. So I'm um, looking forward to that. Um, appreciate you for having me on t- today. Um, and if Fred McGriff does not get voted into the Hall of Fame, we riot, correct? Damn right. Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> we wait, riot. hold on now. No, you, you can't riot because uh, he will take a bite out of crime. <laughs> that's right and that's right. and do hitting instructional videos for kids that's what i was gonna ask has anybody ever known someone or maybe you guys have uh, you guys ever bought those tomamansky videos that you would see on the commercials in the 90s and 80s and stuff like that i had a teammate i had a teammate really? in in high school who obviously so uh by the time i was in high school fred mcgriff had already retired so these videos were old but i had a teammate whose dad bought the old vhs's and was was using them as training uh, training videos for his son. Nice. Um, uh, he wasn't a good player, uh, so Dad was just trying uh, trying to help him out as much as he could. But I thought that was hilarious. Uh, he was using those Tom Amansky, Fred McGriff videos. Wow. Okay. So it, they are true, and they were helpful. Okay. Nice. Good to know. I always wondered if I've never met anybody or even come close like a six degree six degrees of kevin bacon equivalent whatever that is i've never seen anybody or met anybody who's actually bought the video so this is the first my first encounter so thank you for that little story there all right well uh you heard the guys they're gonna be embarking on a greatest of all time journey pretty soon on the thursday show are you guys going this thursday night or no um i i don't know yet okay to to <laughs> um, be announced I'm assuming so. i don't think i have anything planned but it's or I don't, yeah, I don't think it's going to be the GOAT series yet. I got to compile all the data and then we got to put the show together, but. Okay. Well, coming up on the MLB schedule is the winter meetings from December 4th to December 7th. Uh, Austin, that is an important, those are important dates because we have decided to start our 2023 season uh, spreadsheets right after the winter meetings when we assume that all the players will be signed and traded and Rule 5 draft picks will be made, and we're hoping to get a jump start on the 23 season earlier as opposed to last year where we were kind of scrambling at the very last minute to get everything done. So I'm looking forward to that. So keep out, keep an eye out on those dates, December 4th through the 7th. Sean and I will be back. We'll probably talk about rookies on Sunday morning. I haven't decided yet either. But I do look forward to your GOATS talk, and, of course, I'll be bringing you two back if you guys uh, want to come back next year in January to talk about the baseball writer's ballot that's coming uh, soon it's already been released so go check it out now do your homework now and uh we'll end the show we'll end tonight's show with that little bit of a tidbit uh what do you call it um uh a teaser so to speak previews notice teaser thank you for austin over there is kevin i am felipe thank you so much for tuning in we will see you next time take care everybody see you later everybody <laughs>